With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's Tuesday, September 5th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynes, uh, something we haven't seen in a, a long time, and definitely not yet this season. Uh, the Guardians uh, routed at home in probably one of the most important games uh, of the season, at least to open a series uh, against the Minnesota Twins at this point. Uh, you know, this was a game that the Guardians really needed, and uh, Lucas Giolito was out there, uh, newly acquired, uh, put in this position. He had had good numbers against Minnesota uh, previously. The result was a 20 to six loss at Progressive Field, uh, and you know David Fry winds up tossing four innings of relief uh, in order to rescue the bullpen. There, probably the only uh, bright spot and positive to come out of the whole game. Uh, but let's start with Giolito and you know what was expected and what didn't happen. Uh, in his start uh, against the Twins. Yeah, Joe, it was, uh, he described it as a nightmare. Uh, I describe it as a nightmare times two. That was, uh, that was not what uh, the Guardians needed. Uh, I don't think that's what they anticipated getting out of uh, Giolito. As you said, he had great numbers against uh, the Twins earlier this season and three starts over 18 innings. He'd only allowed two earned runs. Uh, but last night, his line score was one I'm sure he'd like to forget. Three innings, seven hits, nine runs, nine earned runs, three walks, three Ks, three homers allowed. Uh, it's the second time this season he's allowed nine earned runs, which is a career high uh, in a game. And uh, he his timing was not good, Joe. He's allowed, uh, I, I believe he's allowed at least eight runs in a game for three different teams this year, uh, including the White Sox, Angels, and uh, Guardians. That's uh, that's one of those infamous sort of marks that you don't want to, you know, have have your name associated with. And uh, Lucas Giolito has has struggled at at every stop uh, he's been at uh, so far this year. Uh, definitely not the the same pitcher who uh, could come in here. Uh, over his past seven seasons and dominate uh, the way that he has in the past. Uh, you know, there's a reason why uh, sometimes guys are available, and, and that's uh, and that's why you've got, uh, you know, Giolito available after the trade deadline the way he was. Um, you know, this is 
you know, you sort of plug and play and plug and, uh, you know, re- replace Noah Syndergaard with Lucas Giolito in that situation. The same issue uh, between the two guys is just giving up way too many home runs. Yeah, they, I guess when, you know, when a pitcher kind of reaches that age, what I think uh, Syndergaard was 30, uh, Giolito was, was, uh, is 29, uh, you know, maybe uh, you lose some velo, you know, and, uh, you know, Frank Kona really kind of hinted at that when uh, they claimed, you know, uh, uh, Giolito, uh, Matt Moore and uh, Ronaldo uh, Lopez from wa- on waivers <clears throat> Thursday uh, from the Angels that, that is uh Velo had backed up and uh it certainly <laughs> it looked like it it certainly had last night. Uh you know, the thing that got me, Joe, you know, his changeup is always one of his good pitches. And he said, you know, I've always had confidence that I can throw the changeup down in the strike zone. But this time when he threw it, it was up in the strike zone. He said, That's not a good thing and uh, we all saw that. Yeah, change ups that that hang sort of uh you know, get hit very far and, and... Uh, the Twins and the difference between the Twins and the Guardians was really sort of on display last night. Uh, the, the difference between the two teams is the Twins can hit, you know, six home runs in a game. And that's exactly what they did. That was a season high uh, home runs allowed by the Guardians. Season highs in runs, hits and home runs all allowed in that game. Now, a lot of that uh, is is on the back end of the uh, you know back half of the game when David Fry is out there you know, pitching uh, less than batting practice fastballs. So I think, uh, you know, you can sort of, you know, set aside some of those numbers. However, uh, you know, Angel De Los Santos came in. He gave up, you know, four runs in an inning of work plus plus four batters. And uh, it, it became apparent early on that it was just not going to be Cleveland's night. And that's when, when Tito, uh, you know, went and got David Fry. Yeah, you know, Joe, I can't emph- you can't emphasize the power aspect enough. Here's uh, in, in the in the Twins starting lineup, they've got they've got what they've got seven guys that have hit ten or more home runs. If I'm if my math is right, the Guardians in their starting lineup had three guys who had hit uh, you know ten or more home runs. I mean, it's just you can't win like this when when you when you get it on a hot night. In September, with the wind blowing out, it was a recipe for disaster if uh, Giolito didn't pitch be- uh, t- pitch well, and he didn't. And uh, like you said, the the, uh, the the Twins are made to hit home runs. They've always hit home runs, and uh, you know this team, uh, Cle- this t- Cleveland team, when they when they get behind, they it's it's hard for them to come back. And uh, yeah, Fry was, uh, you know, the obvious, I guess the obvious choice, you know, I felt bad for him, uh, Joe. I mean, you know, it's, it's one thing, uh, to, uh, you know, be a position player that pitches and, you know, and it has to come into a, a lopsided game and pitch one inning. This guy had to go four innings. I bet he can't comb his hair this morning. I really, you know, he's throwing 56 miles an hour, but still that's, you're on the mound, you're throwing downhill. It's something you've rarely done before, even though he has pitched once before this season. I bet you he's feeling it today. Yeah, 64 pitches. Uh, I bet you he's feeling it more in the legs than he is uh, maybe necessarily in his arm. Uh, at this point right now, but uh, again, this is a, a guy who's uh, he's he's played catcher, so you know he squats and he's you know he should be all right uh, in, in that regard. He did say 
you know, we asked him how he was feeling and he said, ask me tomorrow and, uh, and I'll give you a better idea. So, uh, you're, you're right. That's, uh, something to keep an eye on. However, uh, you know, he wasn't throwing hard. He was out there with the explicit instructions from Terry Francona, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't try and throw hard because we don't need to, you know, injure anybody, but the, the work that he did, uh, basically saved the bullpen. And, and what, what Tito came back and said was, you know, we have a chance to win tomorrow's game, meaning Tuesday, uh, because of what David Fry did, uh, tonight. And it's not so much, you know, the, you know, the, the body of work or did he get any strikeouts or do anything like that? It's, wasn't he willing to sacrifice himself and willing to put those numbers next to his name after, uh, you know, you know, Joey Gallo hits a 458 foot home run. Uh, those are the the kinds of things that that sort of uh, you know sacrificing himself for his teammates in that situation that Terry Francona really respects about David Fry. Yeah, definitely. It was it was he was save the bullpen, and I think you know Gallo, uh, Farmer, and uh, Walner uh, should have, should put an asterisk by those uh, home runs that they hit off uh, Fry. I mean, come on, those were those weren't even batting practice pitches. You know, I think the BP guys throw a little bit harder than that. So you know that was that you know, but he did save the bullpen. He's a, he's a utility player. He's a catcher. You know, he doesn't care about his, his ERA when when his career is over. He'll look back on that and and. I bet he smiles at that. He'll be proud of that. He took the mound and uh, helped his team out in, in a critical situation. Yeah. He had one previous uh, appearance. It was in a 10 to one loss at uh, the Cubs in uh, late June at Wrigley field. He pitched an inning. That was a game where, you know, he played left field for the, you know, he started in left field for the first time in that game, made a catch against the Ivy and, you know, then came in and, and pitched an inning. I, I believe he had the first hit of the game for the, the Guardians there. This was a, a guy who's used to being asked to play a different, uh, you know, a, a number of different roles uh, and, and being put in a number of different situations for this club. And, you know, he's responded all year long. You know, we've we've talked about, we've written, we've done podcasts about uh, you know, David Fry's just adaptability. Uh, he, he really is the story coming out of that game just because of, uh, what he was able to do. And in terms of now the, the guardians have a full and for the most part rested bullpen heading into game two of this series. And, and now it pretty much makes game two, uh, a must win, uh, with Tanner Bybee on the mound. Yeah. They've got no choice now, Joe, they're 66 and 72. They're, uh, six games back with what 23 to play um you know they've got to win they've got to win the next two games uh to uh, you know be uh just to stay relevant to stay relevant in the race uh you know i liked i like what fry said he said he was in the cage you know maybe get warming up as as a sub you know maybe a pinch hitter and he said uh uh uh, Miles Straw came back to him and told him, "Hey, you might have to pitch." And, he, and somebody asked him, "Did you believe Straw?" And he goes, "I don't believe anything Straw says." And <laughs> I looked over, and Straw was in his locker laughing because they're sitting right next to each other in the locker room. <laughs> Straw was shaking his head, laughing. And uh, you know, he said when he he came back down the ramp from the uh, the batting cages and, and walked into the dugout, uh, he, he walks into the dugout and Tito's already on his way out to to get Angel De Los Santos out of the game at that point. I think there wasn't even a, hey, uh, we're thinking about putting you in or anything like that. It was, 
well, guess I'm on the mound now. And uh, he went right out there on the mound. So, uh, and it was, it was nice. I think the, uh, the, the Guardians fans in the, after the top of the ninth inning, as Fry was walking off the mound, what, what few fans uh, remained at that point in the game, they did give him a standing ovation. They did try to let him know that they, they realized and appreciated, you know, what he had, uh, you know, accomplished by getting through those four innings and, and not, uh, you know, forcing Frank Coder to go out and get somebody else. Now you remember uh, these are the, the new rules in major league baseball uh, where uh, you can't have a position player pitch uh, when you're in the lead, unless it's the ninth inning and unless uh, you uh, are, have a, a lead of at least eight runs. So, you know, that was part of what Tito was trying to factor in was, you know, when to bring Fry in and how long they could use him. Uh, you, they needed to be down by uh, at least eight runs or, you know, at, at, at any point so that they could, uh, you know, bring him in at that time. Yeah, I think what was it nine to one when he came into the game. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that that no, that was uh, that was not a problem last night. That rule. So yeah, finding uh, runs wasn't an issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeez, oh man, that was that was that was not pretty. And uh, you just wonder what the hangover effect will be, Joe. I talked to uh, Andre Jimenez. Uh, about it, you know, how do you bounce back from a from a game like this? And he goes, "Hey, we just got to co- show up and play and try to win." You know, that's we've got no other choice. You know, the you, you got to keep playing, and uh, so we'll see how this goes tonight. One of the guys making it difficult for the Guardians to win over the last uh, few meetings with these these Twins is Royce Lewis. Uh, again, Royce Lewis last night found himself. Uh, at the plate with the bases loaded in the second inning and for the second time against the Guardians this year for the third time uh, overall this season uh, Royce Lewis hits a grand slam Uh, this is quickly becoming a guy that the Guardians have to be aware of every time his spot in the order comes up yeah he's hit four career grand slams three of them have been against Cleveland Last night he hits the, he hits the slam in the second inning. Then he has a two run single. I think he ended up with six RBIs. You know, a career night. Uh, this is a guy that you know is back on the field finally after a couple of years of you know serious knee knee problems. And uh, he is uh, he's driving the Twins right now. And he likes tw- and it's obvious that he likes Cleveland pitching. Uh, Jose Ramirez, we talked about him, uh, you know, and, and his sort of, uh, up and down since August and, uh, you know, his struggles at the plate. He did have an RBI triple last night. Uh, didn't play much, uh, in the game after that kind of got, uh, got subbed out and, and they let Tyler Freeman go in. Tyler Freeman comes in, hits, uh, his second home run, uh, of the season. Uh, and Ramon Laureano, uh, had three hits in the game. And, uh, you know, he, he looks like he's settling in nicely uh, in, in the lineup. And, uh, again, he plays uh, tremendous defense in right field. Yeah, you know, so there was some good spots. Uh, I mean, you know, there was some bright spots about last night. Uh, I found it strange that uh, Willie Castro, uh, the, the twin center field, center fielder ended up pitching the ninth inning right joe i mean yeah so for the twins to save their bullpen and the guardians scored three runs off him so 
Joe, it was like kind of like a softball game after a while, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. With uh, Fry and, and and Castro playing, pitching below the pitching speed. It was just like, uh, you know, two, uh, two high. I don't know what it was. It was like, you know, it was just like practice almost to me. Uh, as far as the uh, the velocity on the mound that night, if you were if you were looking for uh, for fastballs, uh, uh, what you paid for on your ticket, uh, I think uh, you you were stray, uh, you led astray. Uh, false advertising here. Uh, the the Guardians. Uh, so Fry goes in and throws 64 pitches. Uh, all uh, all of them were under the 60 mile an hour threshold. He didn't he didn't top 60 miles an hour on any of the pitches. He's the first pitcher since StatCast began tracking pitches, I believe back in 2015, uh, to have an outing of more than 30 pitches with none of them over that 60 mile an hour threshold. That's, uh, you know, that, that just means they, that he, aver- he averaged, what, 56 miles an hour. Uh, and I think his low was 48 and his high was like 59. So he came close to cracking 60 uh, but you could just tell he he wasn't throwing very hard. Um, he also uh, became the first uh, non-primary pitcher for Cleveland to throw four or more innings uh, in a game since Milt Gallitzer uh, against the uh, the Washington Nationals. The Washington Nationals, who went on to become the Washington Senators, who went on to become the Minnesota Twins. So, uh, you know, full circle there. Uh, Milk Gallitzer in 1936 threw six innings in a 14 to one loss uh, to the Washington Nationals. So, uh, you know, that's some if you dig into some of these numbers, it kind of becomes a little uh, a little more interesting. But, you know, the bottom line is uh, David Gallagher had to go out there and uh, to quote Tito, he sucked up a bunch of innings for us. And uh, that's exactly what he did uh, in that outing. Yeah, definitely. And and the big thing is hopefully, you know, he, he looked healthy after the game uh, that he, he comes to the ballpark healthy today. Uh, you know, I saw I remember in, in 2013, there was a game where uh, David Murphy and, and Ryan Rayburn had a pitch. Both both outfielders had to pitch for uh, Cleveland to, f- to finish out a game. And R- R- Rayburn uh, hurt his arm and really kind mm-hmm. of bothered him the rest of the year. So, you know, that's that's not always you know, a joke out there. It's not always a lark. You have to be, you have to, you have to be careful with yourself and you have to kind of rein yourself in because all these guys have good arms. They can all throw hard. You know, I mean, everybody, you know, compliments Fry on on his arm strength when he's catching, you know, he's got a great arm, you know, controlling the running game, but he can't be out there throwing above 90, you know, or 80 in the high eighties for four innings when you're not a pitcher. Right. And and Tito has had his stable of, you know, position players who he's been able to turn to uh, in in that situation throughout uh, his time in Cleveland. I mean, Mike Freeman was a guy that uh, that he would regularly put out there, not regularly, but when when the situation called for it, he pitched him uh, more than once. And, and Freeman actually, you know, would strike guys out. I mean, there, there was it, it's not like he was out there looking to strike guys out, but he wasn't out there just lobbing the ball over the plate either. Yeah, Chris Jimenez, uh, you know, a a catcher, you know, pitched a lot for Tito. 
you know, I remember going back to uh, Mike Hargrove's days, uh, hard hitting Mark Witten would, would get on the mound at a time. I, there was a game in Oakland where he struck out the side, you know, and Witten had a great arm, you know, a great arm from the outfield. So I remember in Oakland, he struck out, I think he struck out the side in order. Mm-hmm. Some of these guys will, uh, you know, when they're playing catch on the side or whatever, they'll work, they'll work on their knuckleball or they'll, you know, try to throw benders and, uh, you know, all that. Uh, it's just, you know, how sharp can you be getting out there on the mound? It's a little bit different, you know, when the actual game is going on. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, what, 60 feet, six inches. Uh, you're not uh, you're not uh, just playing catch. And, you know, like most of these guys are baseball players, Joe. I'm sure, you know, if you talk to every one of them, every, you know, the 26 guys on, on the, on the guardians, they've all pitched at some time and from mm-hmm. little league on up, they've all had, you know, they've all probably been the best player on their team or played shortstop and pitched one day, played shorts, shortstop the next and, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, to, to, to pitch four innings like that, you know, and, uh, you know, that's, that is, that is not a, a an easy ask. Yeah. Uh, Will Brennan actually, uh, appeared in 28 games on the mound, uh, in high school, uh, I'm sorry, in, in, in college for Kansas State. Uh, and, you know, he was the, the hardest. He, he, he actually, what, tossed 82 innings uh, in, in one season for Kansas State. So, I mean, these are guys who, you know, even the position players have uh, had experience on, on the mound in a, a variety of, of roles. Hey, uh, you know, I uh, want to remind our listeners uh, about subtext. Uh, 216-208-4346 is the number to subscribe if uh, you want to get in on our subscription texting service. It's $3.99 a month. Uh, you can get messages and, and send questions to myself and Hoinsey, and uh, we will you know, respond and, and, and you know, try to answer as many of them as we can. Uh, you go to cleveland.com slash subtext to sign up. Uh, speaking of Will Brennan, uh, it's Navy Week in Cleveland. Uh, that kicked off yesterday. And we were watching uh, the Guardians come off the field after batting practice yesterday. And Will Brennan uh, stopped and the uh, the PA announcer, Bob Tayek, uh, said, you know, got everybody's attention and said, hey, look at the scoreboard. Uh, and the Guardians played a message from Lieutenant Samantha Brennan, uh, who is a weapons officer aboard uh, a naval ship uh, stationed in Pearl Harbor. And she came on with uh, a, a nice little greeting and a shout out to uh, to Will Brennan that they played again during the game uh, last night. Uh, just uh, a nice little moment uh, to surprise Will and, and show his uh, his his older sister, who he's quite proud of uh, serving in the uh, the U.S. Navy. Uh, and, you know, with the air show in town all week, uh, all weekend last week. And, uh, you know, there were plenty of, uh, you know, uh, naval, uh, you know, uh, sailors uh, in in uniform in the uh, stands yesterday, uh, as well as a, a nice little flyover during the national anthem uh, from uh, a couple of uh, airplanes. Uh, it was, uh, you know, just just nice to see uh, uh, the turnout and the support for, for Navy Week here in Cleveland uh, through the Guardians. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, you know, you saw the uh, sailors in their dress whites in the, you know, in the, in the stands and, uh, uh, you know, that, that, and, uh, Will's sister looks, looks like him, you know, you can yeah. see the, the family resemblance. So that was, that was really cool. That was a nice touch, uh, by the guardians. That was, that was really nice. 
Yeah, you can tell, uh, you know, they're pretty good athletes in that family. Uh, Samantha Brennan was a, uh, a swimmer for four years for the Naval Academy. Uh, and uh, she was, uh, you, you know, swam in uh, NCAA competition. And uh, it was uh, just neat to, to sort of go back and, and see, you know, her, the connection that they, ha- they have there and, and the support that they have for each other. Uh, kind of fun there. Uh, also, uh, you know, as we get closer to the, the Brown season kicking off, uh, the uh, Guardians had uh, David Njoku, the, uh, the tight end for the Browns. He was out there to throw the first pitch for the Guardians game. Uh, prior to the, the game, he, he threw a, a first pitch, fired a, a fastball in from the, from the mound to Cam Gallagher, a little bit of heat and a little bit of zip on that ball. Uh, not the first time we've seen David Njoku uh, throw a first pitch in uh, in, in that stadium uh, back in 2017, uh, right after he was drafted. Uh, the Guardian, uh, actually the the Indians at the time, uh, were hosting Seattle and they welcomed three draft uh, three uh, first round draft picks uh, with Njoku. You remember who uh, who the other two were uh, that were standing up there on the mound with Njoku? I, I think Miles Garrett was one of them, right? Yeah, it was uh, it was Jabril Peppers, Miles Garrett, and uh, David Njoku. I don't think uh, I don't think anybody sort of realized what kind of a player Njoku was going to turn out to be. But uh, at the time, uh, you know, he, he looked a little more clean cut. Didn't have the 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 dyed long braids or anything like that. And uh, his uh, his shirt was not unbuttoned almost to his navel uh, when he went out there and, and threw the pitch. So. Uh, just kind of fun to go back and watch the video of that first pitch uh, from 2017 compared to uh, last night and where uh, where David Njoku has has uh, sort of come along. All right, Joe, how, how would you grade that pitch? How would you grade his first the, pitch last night? He definitely learned from uh, from the first time he was out there to to this past time. Uh, he, he stood up on the rubber, uh, you know, uh, pushed off and and threw basically threw it through Cam Gallagher. Uh, it was a little bit high, but it was a it was a good pitch. All right, uh, all right. That's gonna um, bring us to tonight's game. Tanner Bybee uh, on the mound for the Guardians. Uh, this is uh, as as we said, it's a it's a game that the Guardians need to win. Uh, he's going to be opposed by Sonny Gray. Uh, this is a good matchup. Uh, you know, on the on the pitching side, the Guardians uh, really had a, a tough time when Sonny Gray was was in the game. Uh, on uh, last Wednesday uh, against them, but uh, eventually wound up uh, winning that game in 11 innings. Uh, what can we expect tonight out of the uh, the matchup between the two? Yeah, it, sh- it should be a good one, Joe. Uh, this is a rematch of their of the of Bybee uh, Gray on uh, August 30th at Target State at Target Field. Gray went seven scoreless innings, uh, one one walked, five strikeouts. Bybee went four innings. Two runs, four hits, um, over five innings, and like you said, they, um, the uh, uh, the Guardian, Guardians pulled it out with on Cole Calhoun's three-run homer in the tenth. Uh, but you know, Gray and uh, Bybee, the, the, you couldn't ask for a better a better pitchup. I mean, a pitching matchup. So this is going to be a big game for Cleveland. They've they've got no choice now, Joe. In in the endless season. They finally have to. They finally come into a game where they've got to win. All right, Hoinsie, we will check back with you again tomorrow. Uh, get to recap and uh, look ahead to uh, a road trip to California uh, here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. <laughs>